Analytics Today, a podcast series focused on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I am your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is Samir Khan. Hey, how's it going, Jeremy? What's going on? Happy holidays, man. Happy holidays. And, you know, you had the fantastic conference at Adobe, I I heard, which is... I did. Let's let's, uh, get our, our listeners a quick preview of what that was. It was just a great conference about the uh, amazing growth and success that Adobe's had over the FY18 year, and there's a lot of things to look forward to in, in 19. Um, it, big things are as a focus on the three acquisitions, two primarily is Marketo and Magento, and uh, it they're big. Those are big game changers. Um, and, and what's ironic is that what we predicted last year and what we're going to talk about this upcoming year, they have to do with those acquisitions. They have to do with how the market is trending. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Right. I think, uh, um, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, so is this like an annual conference that you guys go to at Adobe? What, what's the deal? So the annual conferences are just our sales kickoff. We just have a sales oh, kickoff to start off the new year. Um, and it's just a way to get the worldwide sales organization together under one roof in one room, be able to talk about a strategy moving forward, what we're going to do, what worked, what didn't work. And it's training that's nonstop. It's 7.30 to a.m. to 10 o'clock at night. Um, Crazy. You know, group lunches, group breakfast, group dinner, group workshops. Yeah, I'm exhausted. <laughs> wow. I'm, 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 I'm really happy that you yeah, took thanks. the opportunity here to join the conference, uh, join the podcast today. Yes. Um, so I think today's uh, session is going to be interesting because I think you and I talked about it already before the podcast show was. Yeah. That, uh, in in, in uh, today, uh, and you want to go ahead and kind of do the introduction, what we're going to yeah, talk yeah. about. And, yeah. and what's interesting about this is, you know, this will be a little bit of a more of a lengthier podcast than we normally have just because there's so much great content. And, and Samir and I have looked at actually the statistics at this um, annual predictions uh, podcast that we do every year. And I guess you guys love it because we love it too. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those fun ones. So let, let's get straight in. So um, basically what we've done is we had 11 predictions last year and I'm going to go through those quickly and we're going to quickly discuss what worked and what didn't work. And our prediction was 81% of the predictions came out correct. Nine out of 11, which is great. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't expect it to be that high, which is incredible. Um, So it seems like we did some research. We didn't just came out (laughs) something behind our back pocket. (laughs) Well, I I just kind of pull stuff out and make it up and dump it right. Yeah. (laughs) So that's good that, you know, that's, that's great. So the the first one, the first one, I mean, and and these that we got right, I hate to say, but it's going to feel like a duh statement, but so number one, content marketing and ad messaging will be driven by AI. So like Uber flip chat bots, Einstein's sensei Watson, obviously, Content marketing, ad messaging, AI. I mean, it was almost a progression. It was. And I think uh, 2018 was the year of AI, especially for chatbots. I mean, it's like every Joe Schmo is now starting to use chatbots and Facebook launched their chatbots. So I think the, uh, what we originally predicted was like, hey, you know, ad messaging and content marketing, uh, it, there's a lot of that is going to be driven by AI. And we were like kind of darn right with the progression that's been in the chatbot space, what uh, Salesforce has done by accelerating their Einstein intelligence engine 
uh, Adobe's Sensei launch that also apparently happened in 2018. Yep. Uh, then, uh, you know, Watson Analytics, uh, the stuff that IBM is doing with that. So I think a lot of things uh, kind of align here, which now it's the, the kind of the year of uh, to see what's more that's going to come up in AI. So th- I felt that this is good. Well, e- even to back that up, if you look at AI, AI is really powered by the ingestion of data, good data, right? It's like kind of like crap in, crap out, right? You put in good data, you get good data output. And if you look at the way content marketing and ad messaging have been just really refined and advanced and there's more connectivity and there's more data that's output with these types of tools. There's, I mean, I, I, there's some great companies that you use that are great content marketing syndicators, you know, and there's so much data behind it. So that's why it was just, it made sense that AI would really be connected to, to drive these types of technologies. Yeah, absolutely. And for reference, anyone who has not listened to our previous 2018 prediction podcast, you can go find it on analyticstodaypodcast.com. Uh, what we're talking about right now is we're reviewing our 2018 predictions, and then we're going to jump on to the 2019 predictions that we see what's coming up in 2019. Bingo. Okay, number two. Uh, advanced analytics and data science marketing will override traditional marketing. This this one, I felt that uh, yeah. you know we kind of uh, nailed it as well because there has been a, a one of the one of the data points that we use to validate this one is how many uh, what's the movement happening in the analytics and data science industry? And yep. if you look at it, uh, we did a uh, we did a podcast called Major Data Analytics Acquisition in twenty eighteen. Yeah where we look at Accenture acquired Cogentix, which is another data company. Equifies bought a specialty reporting company called DataX. Visible, which is another analytics company, was acquired by Marketo, and Marketo now acquired by Adobe. (laughs) So there is a lot of these merger consolidation happening, and specifically when it comes to data and analytics, uh, compared to majority of the other industry, the number of acquisitions that happened in the data science and analytics were astronomical. So that definitely validates uh, the prediction that we made where there's going to be uh, these things are going to kind of override the traditional marketing. And so, and so one of the things that people might misunderstand is when you say traditional marketing, we talk about the term advanced analytics and data science driven marketing. That really just comes down to smarter marketing because if, if you're used to work with, and I'm just going to use simple terms, a small amount of data on average to be able to make decisions. Now, instead of having a small amount of data, you have a large amount of data. And with that large amount of data, with bigger budgets and uh, more complex journeys and personalization needs and you know all these different things, you have to have that level of, of advanced analytics and really data science to be able to drive great marketing. It's not possible without that. No, it is not possible. No. Well said. Yeah, cool. So number three, this is one I predict that well, that we predicted did did not happen. Yeah, this uh, one is a fail. This, <laughs> this was a funny one, and I remember when Samir was like, "Man, I think this would be a great prediction." I was like, "Okay, dude, let's just do it anyway." I mean, <laughs> okay. So content consumption uh, drive during drive time uh, will decrease due to the rise of will increase. In fact, that was a oh, prediction. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, due to uh, increase. Sorry. Yeah. Drive time will increase due to the rise of self-driving cars. Yeah. And and I think uh, this prediction, we 
we saw the uh, you know we saw the patents that were happening yeah. in um, in the number of uh, companies that are registering the patents for self-driven cars. Yep. Uh, we kind of um, may may have uh, predicted it too early. While we still think that when the cars will be self-driven, the content consumption during the drive time will increase because users will have more opportunity to select the content and choose the content. Well, right now it's like you're kind of tied up to the screen and your drive screen, which is the the yep. the you know the windshield. Yep. But but when there's cars are self-driven, that opportunity will increase. So the prediction is kind of right. I think we predicted way too early, so we're gonna not give credit to ourselves well, for that. Th there's a reason for the prediction. So one is maybe Samir watched iRobot and he thought, <laughs> hey, everybody maybe too much. <laughs> yeah, right. Everybody's gonna have self-driving cars or he understood, and I also understood that there's a rise in telematics. And so, if our if our listeners don't have any idea what telematics is, telematics is the is the computer learning um, that's or, or the the data ingestion behind what's uh, cars and and automobiles output. So, telematics is the data that's collected by by vehicles, right? Uh, average speed, uh, average acceleration. It can tell you if it's raining outside because the windshield wipers are on or it's dark outside because the lights are on when something happens. And a lot of this data is actually sent back to the company. I mean, even look at Tesla or even Ferrari or some of these more expensive uh, brands. They're sending that data back, especially Tesla. They're ingesting all that data back. So they're able to really understand how people are driving in certain conditions and it's helping them build out better models to have self-driving cars. Yeah. So the first step point. was there. It just, I don't know. I, I don't trust people in the road, <laughs> road anyway. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Number four, business analysts will be required to amplify their analytical skills. Well, absolutely. Yeah. This I think was, uh, was also another one that I felt that we kind of nailed it. Uh, business. If you go look for a search for the business analyst role, it, the decline that happened in 2018 is significantly higher than that happened in any other year. Uh, so, and what, and, and the flip side, if you look at the companies that are hiring the uh, marketing and digital analytics skill set, uh, it's going on an increase. Uh, so we kind of, uh, we predicted that the business analyst role will be transformed into the into. marketing analytical role yep. and you know they'll have to amplify the skill and become more niche focused uh, which is what happened in 2018 and it's not really just the idea that if you're a business analyst you get your six sigma or you learn how to do you know uh, water waterfall methods to help uh, you know your production team do all that it's i mean the business analyst was a pretty unique role and it just had so many different it wore so many different hats. Yeah, it's a broad time. role, right? I think it's the problem is it's is so different. broad. Yeah, wearing multiple hats. Yeah, but as a marketing analyst, your specific your specific job is to help drive ROI, yeah. right? Exactly, and and or at least help the teams figure out what the ROI is. Yeah, and provide them the means. And same thing exactly. for finance analysts, yeah. sales analysts. Now you see all these roles that are popping up. There are more specialized skills. So a, a if you are from a job perspective, you're just a business analyst, you have less chances of landing a really good job uh, unless you find some type of a very high level analytical role. 
versus transforming your skills into a marketing analyst or sales analyst or finance analyst, concentrating on specific industries and specific departments will have much more better chances of landing a job. 100% agree. Cool. Number five, digital security and data protection will be the hype or be the hyper rise. Uh, so yes, talked this, about- this was something we nailed it as well, right? Uh, <laughs> because I felt like uh, 2018 was the year of security and privacy. Yes. And there are so many examples. Like you talk about the GDPR launch, all the major breaches that we had this year, all the major lawsuits with regards to the breaches that we had this year. Google's lawsuit, Facebook, Six Flag, Marriott, Hearst Media, Uber. I mean, there's like you going on and on. Uh, and then if you look at uh, the search volume for just a keyword data breach in Google compared to 2018 and 2017, mm-hmm. in 2018, we saw exponential growth in the amount of search interest and volume for that keyword. So when we said that digital security and data production wouldn't be on a hyper rise, I mean, that I, I was so happy to see this. This is exactly how we predicted it. Did you say Facebook twice? Because, uh, Facebook twice. <laughs> or 10x. <laughs> yeah. Because they keep on having data breaches. Like Every on, day. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing. Pictures. I don't yeah. care. You know. <laughs> uh, number six, traditional analytical tools such as Excel and SQL will continue to make way for advanced BI tools like Tableau and Power BI. I, I, yes and no. I, I, so I, every, every podcast I've talked about my 60, 30, 10, right? So here's the thing is that I completely agree that it'll continue to make way. You know, people use less Excel, less SQL, more advanced BI tools. Like Power BI is a great tool. I, I mean, for me in the Adobe world, a lot of great connectivity with that. We know we have a lot of clients pushing data out in a Tableau because of its, you know, the, the visual sense of it. But the thing is that there's still so many, so many companies that haven't even got there yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, st- I still make that joke and it, I still make the same joke and it's relevant to where I can walk through an office and tell you which the marketer's office is because they have three screens because they have three different tools up that they use for marketing and they downloaded all the data from each one and put them all into an Excel spreadsheet in the middle screen. And they run trends to see where, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the like old their, school make, way, right? their makeshift, uh, you know, their, their makeshift advanced BI tools. Yeah. So. No, I think uh, this, I, I, I agree with you. Like there are lots of companies that have adopted the data viz uh, more so than using yeah. Excel and SQL. Um, and then there are a lot of companies that are at the cusp of adopting it. The fact that I, I like, one thing I like about Power BI specifically, the fact that you can start really low price point. Yeah. Uh, it gives you an opportunity for every single business owner to start utilizing the tool. A Tableau, I know, is a little bit more expensive. Mm-hmm. But to Power BI, it's a, you know, kind of dirt cheap for DataWiz. Fantastic tool, yeah. Uh, let's see, number seven, so we can breeze through these, right? CDO, D's and dog, right? So the chief data officer job will be on the rise as organizations closely align data to business results. 100% agree. And, and you were talking about the rise in search volume, right? Yeah. So essentially for this particular prediction, what we were saying that the chief data officer job will increase. And as confirmed with the Google search volume, we saw a 25% year-over-year growth in Google US search volume. So that again validates the importance of chief data officer. Uh, uh, in a lot of different ways in which we kind of predicted. 
And so just a real quick thing for our audience, what is Samir's understanding of the difference between the CIO and the CDO? And that's a good question. I think CIO, uh, it's uh, from my perspective and my outlook was a, a job that's that's a legacy IT job, right? Yeah. Uh, all the IT infrastructure and the services that the organization is providing uh, to the company from an infrastructure standpoint uh, sits in the hands of CIO. And, yep. and, and many companies, it's different. Like some companies also have the chief security officer responsibility reporting to CIO. Uh, some companies also have the data responsibility reporting to CIO. But as things are getting more crystal clear, uh, more and more companies are hiring a data officer, uh, particularly to focus on what to do with the data. Because I think the CIOs are so much tied up with the legacy IT, the migration to the cloud, data lakes, uh, all of that is happening that they don't necessarily have enough resource or bandwidth to go and focus on what to actually do with the data, right? Well, they're, they're, How do you capitalize on data? Exactly. Even with the infrastructure, what they're trying to do is basically keep things afloat, making sure that they're, yeah. you know, they're, they even have an on-premise uh, configuration for their servers or offsite. I mean, that's not a data data officer's job. You know, the data officer is looking at the ingestion of, of data that's coming in from the marketing department and how that is GDPR compliant and then how it's being put together. Yeah, um, and more importantly, monetization of data. Uh, that's exactly. sort of yeah. a very big topic for CDOs to, how do, you, how do you monetize your data? What do you do with it? Like, how do you make money out of it, right? Yeah. And that's becoming increasing. We're going to talk about that when we talk about 2019 predictions in terms of exactly. how the importance of data uh, from a monetization perspective is becoming important. Absolutely. So next one, uh, organizations driven by CMOs will be faster to succeed than driven by finance or sales leadership. And you can make the argument that, and this came true, but you can make the argument, well, most every company is a CMO. That's not what we're talking about. We were talking about how CMOs were basically reporting into finance or reporting into sales. Like there's a, a head of marketing, you know, that, that went up into the CRO position or went up and reported into the CFO. We're talking about a equal an equal position person that's a CMO next to finance, next to sales. Yeah, no, I, well, well said. I, I don't yeah. want to add anything to that. Cool. Uh, next one. So this, this one did not happen. And then I think Samiro, you can give a good explanation for this one. TV commercials would be replaced by partial interstitial ads on the top of the TV shows. So I would say this is happening at a slower rate than what we originally predicted. So what we, when we originally predicted that what we were saying is instead of having your legacy TV commercial, you're going to see a lot more advertisement on top of your event. So let's say if you're watching a sporting event, instead of having those typical 10, 15 minutes break uh, where you have to see the TV commercial. And obviously if you have a DVR, you can skip that, but, what we were proposing is, and we are, we're seeing that already happening is during the TV shows, you're going to see those ads and it still happens, mm -hmm. but it will take time, you know, because people are using DVR, they're going to skip the ads. Eventually you're going to start to see more and more interstitial ads, but you know, we're not going to give us the credit for this. I don't think we, we were able to predict this well. Especially as they predict more or understand more of, of the user's engagement. I right. think once more data is collected. Yeah. So, uh, okay, cool. Here's one that did happen. Uh, digital budgets will become 
independent of the marketing channels. Oh yeah. And yeah. you talked about uh, digital teams and so on. But yeah. Digital teams, the budgets will become, I mean, so, so we, I, go for it. Yeah. 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 I was going to say uh, the way we were thinking about it is if you look at the, how marketing has evolved, so marketing essentially started with traditional marketing, right? Then we got the digital marketing and digital marketing used to be the part of the traditional marketing and the marketing mm -hmm. budgets were limited to your social media, your SEO, your PPC, but digital has grown so much that the budgets are no longer tied just to the activity from those channels. It's yes. not just about the channel acquisition. It's about your operational digital operation. It's about your web management. It's about your delivery. It's about your uh, inbound uh, chat management. So there's lots of different components that fit into the digital field. So it's no longer just about, Hey, how much should we spend on social or SEO or PPC? It's more about what's your digital strategy and what are the different components of those strategy where you should spend money on including delivery, including operation, including web management, 100% including agree. acquisition. 100% agree. Cool. So one more and then we'll get into 2019. So the multi-channel attribution will become mainstream. This is a big one. So when we talk about multi-channel attribution, for our listeners that are kind of new to the world of attribution, maybe I know there's what, like 11 or 12 different attribution types, right? What's the difference between multi-channel, what people normally see? Yeah, multi-channel attribution is a concept that also uh, had a pretty significant growth in the year 2018. And as a matter of fact, 30% growth in the number of interest in search volume. What we're talking about there is uh, the ability to look at the user's journey from the first interaction they've had to the closed deal or closed sale and how many interactions had, what are the different types of interactions and have lens to look at in every single one of those. And that's where I feel um, you know, a lot of companies are still operating in a very traditional Yes. way. You know, they look yeah. at either the first touch, they look at the last touch and they're like, I'm not worried about anything that happened in the middle. Uh, I'm only concerned about like, where does it come from or where did it landed to? Mm -hmm. uh, Multi-channel gives you the ability to look at all the different touch points because the user's journey is influenced by multiple things. And it's not just the first time they started the journey. I always say like attribution is a journey. You know, that's kind of my keyword is uh, attribution is a journey. It's not one stop when the no. sale started is not one stop when the sale happened. So attribution is journey. And, the, and a lot of people don't realize that the attribution starts. A lot of times it's, it's what cannot be measured, but it's, it happens when the first, the person first realizes they have a need when they make that first uh, measurable interaction. That's when that starts. Okay. That's yep. great. Cool. Okay. So we talked about this. We feel great. 81%, 9 out of 11. Let's get into 2019. 2019. Drum roll. Drum rolls. <laughs> okay. So now we have another 11. So we're just going to stick with the 11 because Samir likes 11. So, okay. <laughs> That's a lucky number. We got 81% right. <laughs> 81%. Okay. Number one, companies will increase focus on digital transformation instead of digitization. Absolutely. I don't know how many customers and how many people that I've spoken to, whether they're in that 60% or 30%, everybody is talking about digital transformation and whether it's a real, it's a reality or a pie in the sky idea, everybody's talking about digital transformation. So I think for this prediction, and I definitely want your opinions on it, but I think for this prediction, it's, 
it's that phrase of increased focus. It's not to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. We're not saying that everybody's going to be able to have actual digital transformation, but it's in their plan. Right. And yeah, absolutely. Well said. I think uh, let's, let's just first define or distinguish what's the difference between like a digital transformation and digitization. Digitization, so yeah. Digitization is where you implement a digital technology so you have digital capabilities in the organization. And a lot of people tend to confuse between those two terms. Like a lot of people think like, okay, I'm implementing digital technology. That means I'm doing digital transformation. Yeah. No, no, no. That's not what it is. Digital transformation is when you get the digital data and start driving your business results and your future growth results from it. So that's the huge difference. And that's what we're saying. Like if digitization has already happened and it's happening at a rapid scale, there's been a rapid growth in the amount of technology that's available in market, both it related finance or sales or marketing. What's going to start to happen more and more is how do you use the data to transform your business. Yes. Uh, so that's what we're proposing here. So there's really a, a maturity scale here, really. It's just, just exactly. digitization is just turning something into a digital process. Two is, you know, it's being able to, to figure out a way to, you know, to use data to be able to make decisions, you know. And then three is actually finding an ROI from it. So hopefully people are able to go all the way through. So Absolutely. We, I, we're going to go ahead and predict that the prediction will come through, come true. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So number two, I, I love this one. AI hype will continue to be a distraction, although it will gain more mainstream acceptance. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the acquisitions, I mean, th- these were gigantic. I mean, even from my standpoint, the visible acquisition that were Marketo bought visible and then immediately in the same year, Adobe turns around for over, you know, about 4 billion snaps up Marketo. I mean, it's a fight between uh, Adobe and Salesforce. It's a fight between all the big software companies. AI is there. AI is, is basically when you're speaking to customers, if AI is not naturally integrated into a marketing technology, then they're actually behind, you know? Yeah. And, and Vel said, I think, you know, the, the, Exactly like you said, like, for example, another one that we can bring up is uh, AWS launched a SageMaker Neo for deploying uh, artificial intelligence in the cloud. Um, so essentially, what this platform does, it allows you to not only create machine learning models, but deploy them in the cloud so it can be used across the globe, which is astronomical when, it, when you think like data monetization strategy. Mm-hmm. And it is driven by the fact that AI is, is not only available in your desktop or your servers, but it's now scalable everywhere and it can be deployed everywhere because of all these different types of technology. So that's, a, that's what we're saying is AI hype will still continue, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to become more and more materialistic hype in where people can actually start using it more. If you're looking at the sales bell curve, I think it's, it's at that tipping point where it's going to become mainstream and it hasn't crossed the chasm yet. And it's not in that early majority. Absolutely. It's yeah. still not there yet, but it's still in that early, you know, early adopter phase. The thing is, everybody knows about it. Early adopters are the only ones really actually using it. And a lot of people actually have access to AI because right now AI is built into almost every technology, like I was saying. They just don't know how to use it. <laughs> you know, they, they're not really accessing it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. This is a good one. Number three. 
data scientists will make way for data engineers as the top hot career. And this is, the, I'm going to give this one all to you. Um, th this is something that you probably deal with on a daily basis. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think this one is an, another important one. Uh, you know, data scientist uh, at some point of time was called the sexiest job of the century. Uh, and uh, it is still, you know, it is a, it's still one of the top hot jobs continuously. But what's happening is because of, of you know, one in one way, the artificial intelligence came paving the way and the other way is uh, data lake and data architecture is paving the way. So what's happening is because we have collected and we are collecting so much data, the need for a data engineer becomes more and more prevalent than the data scientist. Because if the yeah. data scientist is going to take the data and come make something out of it, like tell a story with the data, with the models. But unless and until that data is actually ready to use, data scientist's job is not as important because they're not going to be able to prepare the data. That's where data engineers come in, where they're going to architect and prepare and uh, connect the dots and integrate and make the data available. So that's the reason why we're saying that uh, data scientist's job will kind of become the second popular compared to the data engineering job, which is going to you know, grow astronomically. Absolutely. Cool. I like that one. So the next one is one that, I, that I've been exposed to a lot recently. Um, number four, GDPR will be adopted by the U.S., and other non-European countries. Okay, so last May, yes, GDPR did turn on for the U.S. I mean, obviously, we've talked about that. I think we had a podcast on that, too. Um, but the thing is, we're talking about, like, mainstream adoption. Um, one, of the thing, thing, one of the things that I think is unique about GDPR, and this is even something I learned recently, is that there's a lot of marketing tools out there that already – look to make companies GDPR compliant by just turning them on and using them. Because what they're doing is they're already isolating um, data. You're talking, there's already an isolation of interest data versus PII, but then being able to take that data and isolate it by country mm -hmm. so you don't have a commingle, um, you know, across borders. That's and incredible. So, That's you incredible. know, the thing is, there's tools already doing this. So in essence, it's going to be adopted to our prediction. We're not, we're not sandbagging our predictions, but in essence, there's a lot, you know what I mean? There's a lot of companies out there already doing this. People just have to understand that it's actually already happening. And I think, you know, where we're also going with this prediction is not the fact that, you know, Europe passed a law for GDPR and obviously U.S. Yeah. and other countries adopted it if they're doing business with U.S., with, with European countries. What we're saying is just like a law was created in the European Union, of, to protect the user's privacy, we're going to see a lot more of that happen in U.S. and other countries as well, where they're going to come up with their own laws to protect the user privacy. Well, and, yeah. and it's going, to start, it's going to start to accelerate because of all the things that are happening in the market today, like all the breaches that are happening. Yeah, exactly. All the data that's getting violated. Um, so it's not just about like, hey, you know, just because European Union wants us to do, we're going to be compliant. No, no, no. It is happening here because we want it to happen. Every time there's a breach with all these companies, nothing happens. A lot right. of news, slap in the wrist, but yeah, their stock may go down. Whoopity do, they're going to get it back. They still make a lot of money. Yeah, and the water's already reached the level that it's not tolerable anymore. But what what is what is the what is the fine when you mess with GDPR in Europe? 
It's like money. $10 million, $10 million plus for just $10 million. It's a lot of money. And yeah. then it goes into, and, and then it goes into infraction based on record. And yeah. it's a multiplier based on how many records. It's like, man, millions of dollars out the door. So yeah. I think once that does come to, to fruition, I think companies like Facebook and Marriott and, and, and even Google, they're going to think twice after having to write a hundred million dollar check. Yeah. I mean, you no, know, nobody wants to write that. No, so. definitely not. It hits the bottom line. Exactly. Okay. So he, here's one. And, and I really would love for you to get your um, uh, definition to our listeners. So uh, number five is organizations will have multiple options to buy machine learning models. So we talk about AI hype and then we talk about machine learning. What's the difference? Yeah, machine learning essentially it's uh, it feeds to AI, right? So machine learning models are the models that learn on themselves, which is kind of the premise of artificial intelligence is self-learning models that develops and evolves and becomes better and better over time. Uh, and AI kind of automates that entire process. So instead of a data scientist going there and actually uh, training the model again and again, um, what the technology does from an automation standpoint, it makes uh, it, it processed so the models becomes better and better and takes more data and becomes better. So that's essentially different. But what we're trying to say with this prediction is organizations will have multiple options to buy machine learning model. Right now, there are very limited choices, but that's going to change. If you were a company and you want to have a specific model built for you, typically what happens is there are two, three different options. Like one, you go to a company called Kaggle, Kaggle.com. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of data scientists that participate in contests. So you hold a contest where you say, okay, this is the problem that I'm trying to solve. Can you guys help me build the model? And I'm going to give a price of $1,000 for the best model. Uh, that's one way. The other way is you hire a consultant and they uh, come in in the organization, they ingest the data, they give you an output for the model. The third option is you find a software in your industry that is actually doing some modeling for your industry through the software. And the fourth is you hire a data scientist. So that's mm -hmm. the typical four options. What's going to happen is, uh, and what we're already seeing is, with the launch of AWS's marketplace for machine learning, yep. Google is also launching their AI hub, you're now going to have the ability to actually purchase models directly without having to deal with any kind of third parties involved. Uh, so that's, uh, they're kind of creating a marketplace for model, you know, you know, like marketplace for apps. We have app stores and Google stores where you can download apps. This is the exact same concept that's going to happen and it's already happening for machine learning. So that's what we're saying that it's going to become a rather easier for people to buy machine learning model instead of going for the previous four routes that I mentioned. Yeah. It's almost going to be, you know, as simple as even just having, um, I mean, this would be a weird prediction, but one day imagine it just being like a plug-in like you do with your browser. Like, yeah, pretty much. And it's, it's kind of going to become a commodity, right? So then the yeah. question will be uh, the experience. So what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we talk about commodity, there is always the pitch call like, okay, how we differentiate from the commodity from an experience standpoint. Exactly. Nice. So here, here's one that um, it's definitely up your alley more than mine, but uh, th this is definitely your prediction here. So chatbot interactions will improve due to advancement and natural language processing. Yeah, this one is also very interesting. And we have already seen the chatbots this year, right? We have seen Facebook chatbots. We have seen chatbots by other organizations. And they're getting better and better. You can start, you know, when it was like, remember like 2016 or 2017, 
when you have to enter specific keywords in the chat and then they respond to you based on the keyword, like what is your name? What is your age? So it was very rudimentary. Now what it's become at least a little bit fluent, you can have at least a high level conversation when you're in chatbots and you know that is a chatbot, right? Uh, so that's happening. What's, what's what happening if is at the at one of the conferences, so this was ICLR conference in Vancouver, uh, Salesforce's chief scientist, uh, Richard Socher, what he did, he's presented several different breakthrough pieces of research covering practical advancement in natural language processing. So essentially what he's, what the advancement that are happening is going to help in summarization of data, machine translation, question answering. At the end of the day, in a plain and simple language, you're going to see the chatbots become more human in their conversation. What's that Uh, sentiment analysis too? Right. Yeah. And it it will understand the human language more naturally rather than behaving like a robot. I mean, it's scary at times. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to differentiate between a a human versus a chatbot unless they actually tell you that's the chatbot. Well, I I would actually, and obviously they're listening to us right now, but, um, I would blame that on the Google, the, the Alexa, the HomePod, you know, even Siri and all these, all these devices. I, I am confident that they're listening to you all the time. Yeah. That's the scary part. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like really every time you say, Hey, and I'm not going to say it cause there's going to be a thousand things going off like within a foot of me, you know, but if I ask it for something, they're all listening. They're all like actively waiting and the microphones are all on actively waiting and listening for me to say something, you know, they're like, Hey, uh, I need to answer a question. I just want to listen to you 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah, totally. And they're collecting the data and you know, the NLP process is getting better and better. So I think, I think I'm, I'm feeling really good about this one. Like the chat. Exactly. So here's number seven. This is a cool one. Augmented number eight. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Say again. Number eight. Oh, number eight. Yeah, sorry. Uh, augmented reality will become a marketing channel. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't know whether it's going to be adopted by everybody, but I think it'll actually become a marketing channel. Yeah, and I think the fun part about augmented reality, uh, I was going to say like the fun part about augmented reality, if you wanted, so a lot of people still get confused between augmented reality and virtual reality. Yes. Uh, so augmented reality is a virtual reality experience that you have in your real world. Exactly. Right. For example, like I think this is becoming really hot with kids with their games where they can actually hold a mobile device on your table. And then you have these characters that are in that mobile game actually feels like they're on, on your table and you know, they're fighting I, yeah. with each other. So that's augmented I, reality. I was recently able to see a demonstration um, about this technology that was able to look at augmented reality. Let's say you're walking inside of a Let's say you're walking, you're buying some shoes, you're walking inside of a, of a retail market and you put your phone using augmented reality to identify that product. And what it does is it takes that product. You're able to click on that product on your phone. It's able to explode and extract all the supporting information around it, like supporting articles, um, the materials where it's sourced from all this other crap. And then to be able to show you like the, the color options, like right there. Or let's say you're buying shoes like I want to see how the shoes design it'll do an explosion of the whole shoe and it'll tell you all the different layers of the shoe and you can like shrink it and and it's right there on your phone looking at the actual product so I, I think it's gonna affect retail 
That's pretty cool. Uh, so that's that's fantastic. I, I think. Uh, uh, so what we're saying is augmented reality will become a marketing channel. Exact example that you gave, Jeremy. Yeah. That is a marketing channel now, right? And when people are using that to tell you more details about the product. Before it used to be the website where you actually go website, watch a video. But hey, here you go. You can actually look at the shoes and see what it's made of. What are the features? What are the benefits? Where does it come from using augmented reality? Well, let me, let me, well, let me prove how this is, is also reality too because um, a reality for augmented reality, right? <laughs> is, I always use Best Buy as an example, right? What is happening today? Right now, you uh, what? Okay, what used to happen? You used to walk into Best Buy, um, or do your research online. Walk into Best Buy to touch and feel the product. Not really want to talk to somebody because you're annoyed by the the person in the shirt that's just going to annoy you, and you know more about the TV than they do. And then you just touch and feel, look at the TV, then you leave and you go buy it on Amazon and have it sent to your house. Right? That was <laughs> that was number one. Number two, how that evolved is then. There was uh, geofencing opportunities to where there's um, unique uh, or um, unified IDs to where let's say uh, unified IDs tied into personalization and so on. So let's say you're on a website looking at a specific TV, then you walk in, it triggers the geofencing, it knows you're inside that store. All of a sudden, the promotion knows that you're looking at that and tries to personalize the app to pop up and start showing you the same stuff you just saw, you know, on your laptop. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a, it, it went there. What's happening next is people realized I don't like salespeople. The whole thing about going to look at it and then going to, you know, to Amazon and stuff like that to buy it is, is now it's like, well, don't even interact with me. I'll buy the stuff myself. Let me just look it up. So I, I definitely think it's coming true. Great. Cool. Let's go quickly. Uh, number nine, Facebook will lose more market share. Yes, because you're talking about data breaches, privacy issues, but I, I don't think it's going to be crazy drastic. I think because the people in our generation, they don't have nothing, they have nothing else to use. Yeah, I think uh, from uh, when I say market share, you know, I talk about the mostly more in the revenue, not so much yes. in the user. Even the users, I've seen a lot of people that have already started quitting Facebook and nothing against them. It's just that they need to get their act together. I mean, a few days ago, we heard about the big data privacy issues where they were actually sharing users' data, messaging data right. and all the data with other big companies without letting the users know. Uh, which exactly. which is bad. Like I, I don't want to put anything on Facebook, anything that's personal because knowing the fact that they're going to share it and that has impacted yeah. them pretty crazy. I was reading the news and it's saying like they already lost the $22 billion in market valuation, uh, which is huge. So I feel like that all of that is going to come and hit them more uh, if they don't get their act together. So that's the reason why we think that we're going to definitely lose more market share uh, in, in terms of revenue, uh, also to some degree in terms of the number of users. I agree. Cool. So number 10, th this is, this has to come true. Um, expect to see more marketing te technology consolidations. Absolutely. The big companies are going to go out there, acquire the smaller guys. They're going to acquire the ones still with AI. We think they're going to acquire the ones that, that help with GDPR compliance. They're going to buy the ones that help with augmentation or sorry, augmented reality with automation. And and the thing is, Scott Brinker also believes this too. So it's um, he's a smart guy. 
That's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next one. I think, I think we got that one. Last one. This is a cool one. We talked about this earlier um, in the GDPR one, but it's the idea that VOIS or voice over internet search will reshape buyer behavior. This is absolutely cool. Yeah, this is cool. And this is actually the term, uh, and I, I can literally not say that, but I think, I, I think we're coining this term VOIS, which is voice yes. over internet search, uh, will reshape the buying behavior. It's already happening. You know, you have your Alexas, you have your Google homes and all these technology that right now it seems to be like a good technology to have for kids. Like whenever my kids come bugging me with a bunch of questions, I'm like, go ask Google. <laughs> that's, my, that's my strategy. So I tell them like, and they literally go and ask Google and Google helps them get the answer. But, yeah. but the extent, I mean, if you look at it, there are 67 million voice assisted devices uh, that are being uh, deployed yeah. and continue to be deployed as per Adweek. Uh, that are going to be used in 2019. So with the amount of devices that are in the house that actually talk to you and in yeah. and your work and everywhere, like in your cell phones, there's, it's a natural transition that it has to shape our buying behavior. I no longer want to go in Amazon and just type a keyword and go find something and then buy it. Uh, these technologies, the voice over internet search will help reshape the way we buy things. So it's going to, like the new generation, they're, they're rarely going to go on the internet and type something and buy. They're going to probably talk and buy. Yeah, uh, and more and more of that is going to happen. So I'm very excited to see what's going to happen in 2019 with regards to VOIS. Well, the day that VOIS helps me from getting into an argument because we can't figure out where to eat, um, that's going to be when it's going to change people's Solve lives. Because, problems. Or every, answer my wife's questions. <laughs> Every time it's like, where do you want to eat? I don't care. Well, what do you want to eat? Whatever you want to eat. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, if, when that solves that problem, I think everybody's lives will be better. <laughs> totally, man. Cool. This has been absolutely fantastic. I know this was a long episode, but we had to get it out of the way. 81% last year. We're going to kill it. This is going to be at least a hundred percent. Well, it's only going to be a hundred percent. It's going to be at least 81%. <laughs> We're going to hit hundred percent. It's got no, Yeah. I think more importantly, you know, we, uh, fun apart, like jokes apart, like we're not so much tracking percentage here, uh, but I think the more important part is to be able to deliver meaningful and useful content for mm -hmm. our listeners. So thank you very much for being the audience and, um, Gracias. bearing with our, with our bad jokes. Uh, and <laughs> but I think I, we really enjoy this. I think 2018 has been a great year. We yes. had an opportunity to do, uh, probably double uh, the amount of podcasts that we did yeah. in 2017. And we want to continue the trend with your love, your, your uh, help and feedback. So we're really, really grateful. So continue to stick with us and we will work very hard to provide you good content. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Um, have a great uh, holiday for whatever you are and however you celebrate. Have a great new year. 2018 was great to some people. 2018 was it's maybe a year that you just want to let go and keep moving forward. So like I said, you're all a bunch of smart people listening to this and uh, we wish you all the best. So, okay. Happy new year and happy holidays. Happy new year. Talk to you soon. See you guys. Later.